Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, where sports meets life. You're here with us on YouTube.com, Facebook.com, and MixLR.com, all backslash Wake Up Call DT, as well as on Facebook.com backslash Live Now DT, and the homepage of Wake Up Call DT.com. Plenty of ways to listen and watch all over the world, and we appreciate you doing that. Very happy to be here inside of these Cafe Kubal studios with Cafe Kubal on 343 Fayette Street in Manlius, New York, as well as on the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in their drive through location in North Syracuse, and in Syracuse at their three locations of 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, and 401 South Salina Street. In this Commissioner Central series, we have the opportunity to speak with commissioners and executive directors from all over the country to really get the pulse of collegiate athletics from their viewpoint and an overall look at what's going on, speaking on the strength and evolution of each conference that we have the opportunity to speak with, as well as NIL, Transfer Portal, the future of collegiate athletics, and the NCAA. With that being stated, I am so happy to have the opportunity to put the spotlight on the Missouri Valley Football Conference and their commissioner, Patty Viverito, who is here inside of the Missouri Valley as their football conference commissioner and here with us on Wake Up Call this morning in this edition of Commissioner Central. Patty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Appreciate the introduction. Absolutely. And Patty, you know, to, to have this unique connection to the collegiate world, with the Missouri Valley Conference, but to be the commissioner of the football side of things and know that this is a very, you know, kind of unique model. How how do you work hand in hand and, and what can you say about the Missouri Valley Conference when you are the commissioner of football only and there is obviously the existence of, of the conference in general? Well, the branding does get a little confusing, and um, it probably helps to know a little bit of how we came to be, and that is that we've always been a separate, legal, standalone corporation um, for the Missouri Valley Football Conference. It was originally branded as the Gateway Football Conference back in 1985, and then we rebranded along the way to align with so many of our schools that were part of the Valley. But... um, Missouri Valley Conference dropped football as a conference sport back in 1985, and uh, all of the programs that were looking for a home in FCS happened to be members of the Gateway Conference at that time, and I was commissioner, and quite frankly, we just added a football division, and uh, it's, it's turned into a, a very successful enterprise. Um, our women's sports merged with the Missouri, Missouri Valley back um, 30 years ago. Um, but again, the, the football conference has stood alone um, on its own and has some overlap in membership with the Missouri Valley Conference. But, uh, you know, also, you know, takes great, great pride in having, you know, the four Dakota schools, Western Illinois, Youngstown State, um, as, as part of our, our membership lineup. You know, and, and, and I appreciate you giving some background on that because, you know, they're there is that connection and that branding, but at the same time, the uh, living as your own entity. How how does that kind of you know work in your favor? Maybe what are the positives of having a Missouri Valley football conference where there is the Missouri Valley functioning, like you said, the women's sports merged with the men's sports and continue down the Missouri Valley overall. But that this football conference has been able to emerge and grow and blossom over decades. Uh, what are the advantages of that? Well, the advantages probably start with membership and that when, um, you know, the Dakota schools were looking to go from Division Two to Division One and needed a home, 
um, we didn't have to find a sport for all, or a place for all their other sports. Uh, we just were able to take them for football and football only, and that's really worked to our advantage. You know, we took North Dakota State and South Dakota State, and then along the way, we also added South Dakota and North Dakota, and it's made our league um, that much better by being able to expand in the way we did. And if we had to do that across all sports, it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you know, and, and, and having that opportunity to bring these teams in and taking a look at the membership of the Missouri Valley Football Conference and North Dakota State, as well as North Dakota, South Dakota, and South Dakota State, Southern Illinois, as well as Missouri State, Northern Iowa, Indiana State, Western Illinois, Illinois State, and Youngstown State. When I name those names and, and those institutions within this Missouri Valley Football Conference, what are some words that are top of mind that really link all of these institutions together? Nationally competitive. Um, and that boils down to the fact that each and every one of our institutions has played in the postseason, um, many of them with great success. And I probably don't need to point out um, North Dakota State's you know, epic run here with nine championships in the last 11 years at the FCS level, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself. But, um, you know, we, we put multiple teams in the postseason and, and advance through the playoffs um, each and every year. And I really credit that to the vision of our President's Council, um, because really from the inception of the league, um, they were committed to this level of football, you know, FCS football. Um, they didn't have any aspirations of looking to FBS. They weren't looking at anything, um, you know, a low-cost model. That didn't have any allure for them either. Um, our mission and vision really from early on has been to be um, nationally competitive at this level regardless of how what it's called or how many scholarships are, whatever the highest level of NCAA-sponsored football in Division I um, was going to be, that's where we wanted to um, like make a mark. And, and when we look at the mark that the Missouri Valley Football Conference has, has made on things, being at the FCS, you know, the, the football conference subdivision here and having the Division I AA connection, what – can you say about the FCS model and, and what it is, what it has become? You have been able to see the evolution of it over you know, decades now with your seat as commissioner. So how would you speak on the FCS model as far as what you think it is and, and how did it get to where it is to, to give us some background on the evolution of it all? I think there's always been an attractiveness to being able to name a champion on the field. And, you know, for years we operated side by side with FBS with a bowl model, you know, before they even had the playoff system. And I, I was always really drawn and, and appreciative of the fact that we had a model that was, uh, you know, you play round after round until you crown a champion off the field. And, um, I, again, I think that's something that our fan bases have, have really um, identified with and respected and, and enjoyed over the years. Uh, I think what's changed, uh, I would say, over the last 10 to 15 years in a pretty dramatic way is the visibility that we have gotten um, for our subdivision. And, and I really credit digital uh, media for that um, and that, 
you know, 10 years ago, you know, we didn't have um, really any any visibility in, in, in broadcasting. And, and now, um, through our, our, uh, our agreement with ESPN, you know, every one of our games is, is broadcast um, on ESPN Plus or, or ESPN3. And when we see that, like you said, the digital side of things and the opportunity for the FCS to get that publicity and to be able to reach out, uh, that that link to ESPN, just how important that has been for the conference to really spread its message, to make sure that it's it's branded itself and is top of mind. I mean, you mentioned North Dakota State, and they're going to continue to brand themselves because of their extreme, you know, <laughs> their history of just extreme success. I mean, like you said, nine championships in the last 11, and what they've been able to do, the NFL players that that they sent and we've talked about, well, we'll talk about that in a minute here. But when you look at this digital model where teams have, you know, on linear television formed their own networks and, you know, seeing certain institutions have a network and then conferences have a network, when the digital world evolved to a place where if you didn't have a linear TV network, you could at least have one digitally and it could still get to people's, you know, tablets and iPhones and iPods, literally anything that could link onto the internet that you could be right there in their pocket. How important that's been for, you know, the FCS model and how important it's been for the Missouri Valley Football Conference that now you, as far as being on somebody's phone, are toe-to-toe with, you know, if there's an, you know, the SEC network or the Big 12 or the ACC because they're able to just go right there and pull up a game like they would pull up any other game. Right. It's it's really had us transformed from a well-known and respected regional conference here in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, and gave us an opportunity to be known nationally. And uh, that platform has, has grown each and every year, really beyond our wildest expectations in terms of the visibility and the recognition. And, and, and it, it's become just so commonplace. Um, that's where people go. Um, to, to, to find out where, where, when and where games are being played, and we're just a click away, as you have stated, from um, you know a- any other uh, league uh, at any level um, that has that opportunity to broadcast all their games. And here, uh, speaking with Patty Viverito, the Missouri Valley Football Conference Commissioner, and over three decades of having that leadership opportunity the first commissioner coming in September of 1985 and following us all the way through to today. Did you ever imagine that we would be able to look back on over three decades and say that not only were you the first commissioner to step into this role at the Missouri Valley Football Conference, but the only one as we move forward? (laughs) Well, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, so uh, I I jokingly tell people I either really like what I do or I'm in a terrible rut, but I think it's the former. Um, I I really do love what I do, and um, it's very rewarding, and and it's fun, and so uh, why not keep doing what I've been doing for, you know, again, as you mentioned, since 1985, really proud of the success of the league, and really proud to be part of it. What is it about, I mean, when we go back to that moment and that opportunity, in ni- bring me back to September of 1985 and how this all came about with the Missouri Valley saying, okay, you know what, we're going to have this football conference, we're going to have this piece, and like you said, obviously women's sports were connected and then moved forward to be with the men's counterparts in 1992, but back in September of 1985, 
paint the picture for us of where you were, what you were doing, and, and how this became an enticing opportunity, and who kind of presented that to you. Sure. Um, go into a little more detail than I did earlier, and yeah. that is uh, uh, 1985, I was three years into being commissioner of the Gateway Collegiate Athletic Conference, which at the time was, you know, 10 schools uh, in the Midwest and uh, operating their women's sports programs. Um, at the same time that that was happening, uh, the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, the multi-sport league at that point in time that was just operating men's sports, dropped football as a conference sport. And the reason they dropped football as a conference sport and the timing of that was because that's when Division One split into 1A and 1AA. And you had a Missouri Valley Conference that had um, – Two schools in, in Tulsa and Wichita State land on the FBF side of the line, and uh, their other programs land on the FCS side. It was really an untenable situation. It didn't have a future. And coincidentally, all the schools that were looking for a home in FCS happened to be members of the Gateway Collegiate Athletic Conference. And so it was really our presidents who said, you know, we, we need to have this league need to have this league operate in a way that um, that gives us, uh, you know, an opportunity. I'm sorry, Dan, but I, I think I lost you. Oh, no, I'm here. I can hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I was, I'm, I'm hearing a beep. No, sorry. Okay. Um, so anyway, we, we, I was given the opportunity because the presidents thought it made sense that I proved myself to be a capable commissioner, and they thought that I was the right choice to run their football league as well. And, and in having that opportunity to do that, you know, longevity, uh, like you had mentioned, it's either you really enjoy your job or you were stuck in a, a terrible rut. But when you're in a leadership role like this and you are the commissioner of a conference, you have to evolve. The conference has to evolve. And, you know, you, you have to have a lot of skills in order to not only be a leader, but sustain that leadership role and, and have them trust in you. What do you believe you have embodied over the years that has allowed you to stay in a place where you are a leader that has been trusted to guide them, especially in a seemingly more and more ever-changing world of collegiate athletics that seems to be changing by the second at times? Why do you think you've been able to thrive? I'm not going to call it survive uh, why, because I, I think that's a wrong word. Uh, how how have you thrived as a leader in the world of collegiate athletics to be in a position of trust and in a position of navigation? Why do you think this has been something that these institutions have continuously looked to you and said, Patty, you know, we, we believed in you back then, we believe in you now? Well, you use the word leadership to describe a commissioner's role, and I think that that is certainly part and parcel to the job. But um, I I really think that the single word to describe um, my job as commissioner is mediator. Okay. It's really my job to find out um, what the needs of all the members are and then try to get them to agree on a path that makes sense for all of us collectively. And I think we've been really successful in doing that because we have a group of institutions, peer institutions that, that think alike and have the same goals. And it's a lot easier to lead when you have that kind of um, consistency in a, in a membership base and, uh, and, and leaders who have recognized that uh, we're only as strong as our commitment to each other. And that has really been what has driven this league from day one. 
and um, continues to, to, to be, you know, really our rallying cry to this day. It's, you know, we're better together. And uh, we really respect um, each other and what each and every member brings to the league. And one of those members that we had mentioned here, Patty, uh, North Dakota State and their success on the, on the football field, not only within the FCS postseason, but also in the fact that they have a rich history of not only sending players to the NFL, but sending them through the draft. And it dates all the way back to 1964 with, with uh, Ron Wilkening that went on a running back to the Oakland Raiders back then and all the way through to, to now. And not only sending players to the NFL, but sending them as high draft picks. We look at Carson Wentz, who was the number two overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles and helped to guide them toward a Super Bowl despite the fact that he had gotten injured and was not able to play in that. And then we see, you know, a few years later, we have Trey Lance go to the San Francisco 49ers who traded up nine picks to get him at three overall in the first round. And in this draft, we saw a couple players go from North Dakota State, and one of them being Christian Watson, who went to the Green Bay Packers, who desperately need a wide receiver, and he was 34th overall in the second round. North Dakota State has been relevant to the point where if you didn't know them, they made you know them. They did not leave you alone. I mean, it was one of those marketing things where it's like, hey, if we're going to keep winning and we're going to bring in talent like this, you're going to have to know about us. What can you say to that? I mean, to have the Missouri Valley Football Conference, have North Dakota State, have this perennial contender, this perennial national champion at times, and to send all of these you know, players to the NFL and not only send them, but send them as high draft picks that are expected to play right away. I mean, the level of success of North Dakota State has been incredible, and I can only imagine that it has been a great beacon for the Missouri Valley Football Conference to say, hey, if you know them, then you have to know us. There's no question that North Dakota State has set the bar extremely high um, for our league and really for FCS nationally. Um, That's who people are chasing, and um, it makes us a better league because – the goal of our members is is to is to unseat them, <laughs> and uh, and they have a lot of incentive to, to, to be as competitive as possible with um, really what is the gold standard of FCS, and so we're again I'm really really proud to have them in the league, and um, I think they've done a lot to to put us on the map, um, but they haven't they haven't done it alone either. Yeah. I mean I, I like to to think that. For instance, game day, you know, ESPN game day. It's, you know, yes, North Dakota State has hosted twice, but South Dakota State also hosted. You know, it's, it's given visibility and credibility and respect um, for our entire league. Uh, it, it's not just a one school league. No, and I, and I think it's incredible that, you know, we're sitting here talking with Patty Viverito, the commissioner of the Missouri Valley Football Conference. And we're talking about the Dakotas, right? You know, two states in North and South Dakota where you have, obviously, uh, North and South Dakota, and then you have North Dakota State and South Dakota State. The representation here from the Dakotas and what they've been able to do, and when we talk about sports, a lot of people want to talk about Florida, they want to talk about Texas, California, and so on and so forth. But here are the Dakotas, and they have created prominence for themselves. And like you said, being able to, to host game day and and have College Game Day want to be there. Uh, what can you say to that, that that within your institution, within your membership, you have two states that 
really, to me, don't get the respect that they deserve. And then here are these teams that demand that respect and pull, they essentially take that light and they pull it and they turn it right toward themselves. I, I love the fact that we get to sit here this morning and talk about North and South Dakota because I think as states in general, they don't always receive that love, right? And And here are these teams that are commanding it, demanding it, and really fighting up against each other and the rest of the country, becoming that that source of, you know, like you said, not just the conference, but teams all around the country want to beat them because inside of the FCS and even beyond that, it's a notable win when they're able to take on the Dakotas and get a victory. Again, um, the Dakotas have absolutely uh, lived up to all their expectations and beyond. Um, but I really hasten to add that um, we have a lot of other schools that have, have also had in extreme success over the years. You know, Southern Illinois, you know, has made deep runs uh, yeah. into the into the playoffs and was ranked number one. And yeah. Northern Iowa has a huge string of, of you know, consecutive postseason appearances. And let's not overlook Youngstown State and, you know, their gloried history and, and all of their national championships early on in, in FCS. And in fact, their very first year in the league which was 1997, they won the national championship. They finished third in our league that year. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, <laughs> you know my, my glib response at the time was, it was harder to win our league than the national championship that year. So, you know, so again, we're, we're deep. We're, we're very deep and, and very proud of that depth. And in the world of constant reclassification and realignment, Patty, why do you think this conference's institutions have stayed together and continued to move forward and build that? I mean, basically what you said in a few words is the Missouri Valley Football Conference is very spoiled. And in, in the best of ways, to have so many teams throughout history be so effective and so good and to, like you said, it was tougher to win our conference than it was to win the national championship. To have these institutions as your members, what do you think keeps the membership strong and united in a world that is collegiately always kind of ripping apart and one conference loses somebody, so then they got to go poach from somebody else? Why do you feel like your, your membership has remained so connected and willing to work together over the years? Well, I, I think part of it we have to give credit to, to the vision of the member institutions and the presidents that lead those institutions. Yeah. Um, however, um, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't point out our geography. You know, I, I, I do believe that if we were sitting you know, in the Sun Belt, um, that there would have been many opportunities um, for FBS leagues to, to quite frankly, poach our members. Um, we have a certain um, amount of, uh, we have less vulnerability, let me, let me put it that way, than a lot of other leagues that have been, you know, very good over the years, but um, perhaps have uh, not had the benefit of stability because of their geographic location. I would also mention that I'm sure that the leadership and the connection there has something to do with it. It was a very modest answer, but Patty, I'm going to give you some credit for this. But <laughs> speaking here with Patty Viverito here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of our Commissioner Central series, as she is the commissioner and has been since day one, the commissioner of this Missouri Valley Football Conference for over 30 years. Uh, Patty, before I let you go on this, to 
Uh, look to some of the other things you've been able to do within this world of, of being the commissioner of the Missouri Valley Football Conference. You've been able to serve as the FCS commissioner's representative when it comes to the NCAA Division I Council. You've been vice chair of the NCAA Division I Football Oversight Committee. And also, uh, you, you had a term as the Collegiate Commissioners Association Executive Committee, a piece of that, and a chair of the FCS subcommittee of the CCA. What can you say to all of that when we're working at the national scope, especially in this ever-changing world of collegiate athletics, what it's meant to you to have representation there and what you learned about being a part of those committees and, and as, as well as those councils? Uh, I, th- I think I would say what I'm most proud of um, with my service to the NCAA, at least as it relates to football, is that I, I think that I've been an, effect, an effective voice and advocate for um, the football championship subdivision, that I'm, I've, I've done everything in my power to make sure that when decisions are made um, that impact football at the Division One level, that they don't just focus on how it impacts FBS, but it also uh, recognizes both the differences and the similarities and how we manage this enterprise in a way that that helps FCS thrive as well. And I think we've been pretty successful at that over the last few years. The FCS model of the playoff, you know, we, we saw the college uh, football playoff emerge for FBS over the past few years, and we – People, I think, for the most part, are happy that it's not just one game of what the BCS used to be. But the FCS has boasted of a playoff model for a very long time. It's great to see the FBS, you know, create something of this sort. But when you look at the actual bracket that you have for the FCS and so many different teams being involved and the road to the championship being a very you know, grueling road and, and a road that's going to test you. Do you, do, what can you say about the FCS playoff model? And if you believe that it truly is the best model of finding an outright champion without a sliver of a doubt for the most part. Well, I, I think you just stated my case well for me. And that is it's without a sliver of a doubt uh, when, when it comes to the championship game, um, we crown a champion based on you know not just a one-game performance, but all the, all the playoff rounds leading up to that. You have to demonstrate week after week after week after week um, before you can claim that crown, and it's it's one that is that is earned in in every true sense of that word. And and again, you know, we look at twenty twenty one, the most recent FCS playoffs here to decide a national champion which went to North Dakota State but you had numerous teams within the Missouri Valley Football Conference that were a part of this and to see that representation again nationally as you brought up you know South Dakota and Southern Illinois North Dakota State South Dakota State to have multiple teams within this FCS playoff model just what it says about where we are here today with the Missouri Valley Football Conference and the fact that you don't just get to say, oh, yeah, here's the national champion and, and that champion's within our conference, but that there were multiple teams vying for this championship that nationally got the recognition to be a part of the playoff model. And again, it, it's what all of our teams strive to achieve, and that is success in the postseason. And um, over the years, 
as I mentioned earlier in this interview, every single one of our members has been to the postseason and has had success. Uh, you know, I, I think that says a lot for the commitment that our institutions bring to the sport of football and the commitment that we have to being successful at the FCS level. Yeah, I mean, I think there could be an argument here, and, and like I said before, Patty, I know you're very humble, but there could be an FCS and FBS and 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 Missouri Valley football playoff. How about that? So <laughs> I think that that could make some sense here. But with that being said, I want to take a look at the, the bigger scope of the NCAA right now and, uh, you know, name, image, and likeness, a.k.a. Uh, NIL, and what your thoughts are on this. I mean, it, it can be utilized – for the FBF, FBS, the FCS, all of Division One, Division Two, and Division Three, what is your take on NIL and and being a part of these national councils and committees? Just what you are thinking in today's collegiate world of how we can move forward positively and progressively with NIL? Is is there's been a lot more questions and answers. So where do we go from here? NIL is playing out, at least to this point in time, very differently at the FBS level than it is at the FCS level. Um, The crazy numbers and deals and collectives and um, boosters and, you know, dare I say tampering um, with prospects uh, really is, is, is something that is unique to FBS right now. And I feel for them because I think what is happening with, you know, no standard that's national, uh, all the different state laws, the seeming unlikelihood of Congress stepping in to give us some uniformity creates a lot of chaos in the industry right now. Um, based on what we're experiencing so far at our level, that's not how it's playing out in FCS at least not yet, and I hope that holds. Um, I know that our coaches were concerned about the impact that NAL might have on a locker room, you know, with some student athletes having these opportunities and others perhaps not. Um, I had one coach describe it uh, to me this way. He said the deals that we're getting to date are, his, his characterization, are pizza deals. You know, they are, they are not the kind of thing that divides a locker room. And in fact, um, it, it's, it's being embraced and shared. And so, again, we're not having um, the divisiveness and, and quite frankly, you know, sort of the, sort of the outrageousness of what's happening uh, in, at the FBS level at this point in time. So it's not our problem, at least not yet. Um, I think the NLI opportunities that are happening at the FCS level have been good for our student-athletes and have been in proportion to um, to sort of like market value. It's not anything crazy. So would it make sense for the FBS to look at the FCS and and kind of see how this has gone about in a more positive way and maybe, like you talked about, fair market value – creating some type of structure there so that we don't have these ballooned opportunities for one person on a team of, of, you know, 80 some odd scholarships. It's not a, it's not a function of, of, of ethics or morality or intent. It's the marketplace. Um, you know, FBS, they're bowling for dollars on a level that we're just not. And I think we just need to acknowledge that, um, that it's a different world. You know, uh, you know, North Dakota state is terrifically successful but it's it's not Alabama, 
you know there's it's just a, there there is a distinction it is a different world and uh, the amount of money um that goes into you know the top fbs you know power five programs is you know i mean just look at coaches salaries yeah there's a lot of things that are out of control and speaking of out of control the the transfer portal uh, allowing the opportunity to to give student athletes the op- the chance to move freely like coaches have and to be able to say you know what I don't like it here for whatever reason and that one time transfer opportunity where they don't have to sit out a year they can go within conference they can go in most cases wherever they want to go and not have to worry about any restrictions my concern there's positives of the transfer portal and there's concerns uh, one of my concerns within the the transfer portal model would it that it is right now that looks like free agency is the fact that if there is a player developing in a fantastic way in the Missouri Valley Football Conference and flew under the radar and wasn't looked at by Florida State or Alabama or Oklahoma or USC, and they spend a couple years at at one of your institutions, maybe they're at Youngstown State, and they're fantastic, and let's say they're a quarterback, that you know FSU could give them a call and say, hey, you know, it was great kind of building you up this farm system. Why don't you come play for us? And so, you know, I, I know there's a positive in the fluidity of being able to move, but I also don't want those wonderful student athletes that have found a home at the Missouri Valley Football Conference or within the FCS in general to kind of be treated like a farm system. So how do we handle that? Um, I, I, first of all, I think the whole transfer portal and how it operates is is evolving. Yeah. Um, and and I don't have my head in the sand. I, I know the risks that you just described are there. Um, our experience to date in our league has been that um, if, if students are going to transfer from one of our schools to FBS, it's typically as a graduate student. Um, you know, and that happened before there was the transfer portal, um, that they could transfer and be immediately eligible. We've had a couple of, 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 you know, pretty high profile athletes graduate and say they wanted to test the waters, um, at the FBS level and have done so successfully. Um, we have had very, very few, um, high profile student athletes at our level, uh, transfer to FBS. Um, I'm not, I, I, I can't predict whether that's going to hold. But I was I was looking at the transfer numbers and names um, as recently as this morning, and uh, really across FCS, um, the transfer portal has been a net gain for FCS, not a net loss. Um, we are gaining far more FBS to FCS transfers than we are losing FCS student athletes to FBS teams. And, then, and that's partly because we, we always had that, that quote-unquote transfer down, um, you know, to be able to go from FBS to FCS without sitting out. And so there's, there's a tradition there of, of pipelines of, of coaches who, you know, if they've got student-athletes that don't have the, you know, aren't getting the playing time that they, that they want, um, that they know that they can play at the FCS level and be very successful. Knowing that, that the transfer portal does allow that, move from FBS to FBS now without having to sit out. Like you said, you could go from FBS to FCS and play right away for, you know, all the way through here before any of the transfer portal came about. Do you think that there could be less traffic now from FBS to FCS 
because you can move from FBS to FBS without that one year that you have to sit and wait? Um, it's, it may certainly play out that way eventually. That's not the data we're seeing today. Um, but again, you know, it, it's going to evolve. If, if anything, I think the bigger issue with the transfer portal right now is that um, we don't have sort of like it, it's sort of a free for all. You know, you can get in that transfer portal anytime up until May first, and and um, you know, rosters can be can be decimated pretty quickly. Um, to the point where it's it's tough to even run practices, and so uh, one of the concepts that's that's being very seriously considered um, it was for the football oversight committee for the last several months, but also now the transformation committee has taken this up, and that is to create some kind of, of, of portal windows yeah. so that like right after the regular season and perhaps at a time period after spring ball, that uh, student athletes be giving a, given a you know finite number of of days or weeks where they can enter the portal and be immediately eligible but it's it's not one where you know schools are going to you know rosters are going to be held hostage to you know constant movement to the point where you, you really can't plan um you know you can't manage your roster efficiently and, and i say that you know while while the focus has been about the right of a student athlete to transfer and how important that is i don't think we can lose sight of the fact of the need for balance to protect the students that are left behind that don't transfer and i think that that is a, an incredible a statement to it also that the student to student athlete and that you know if it's just athlete and it's just free agency that there's something lost in that, and I, I definitely agree with you that there should be windows to not decimate. A coach should know exactly what they have, to the most part, within a couple scholarships and, and not be in a situation, as I've seen with some teams, that had lost you know upwards of 20 players. And when they're recruiting 22 and thinking, okay, we bring in 20 to 23, 20 to 25 a year, and now not only going after 22 but having to go after 42 players – it's and to a point where it's half the team that it can get a very very debilitating. So I definitely appreciate you taking a look at not only the Missouri Valley Football Conference that you've been the commissioner of since its institution in September of 1985, but as well as the national spotlight here on collegiate athletics and where we go from here, Patty. So thank you so much for giving us a look inside the Missouri Valley Football Conference as well as a look at the nation as a whole from your perspective. Enjoyed the opportunity.